Well, friends, uh, welcome uh, back as we join again uh, to worship together. And I trust uh, a number of you got to enjoy uh, digital uh, tea and coffee, chance to uh, continue uh, friendship uh, with each other. Again, let me say thank you um, to those who have been uh, phoning uh, and providing help uh, for each other. Uh, sending uh, messages of support and uh, encouragement. Thank you to everybody who's been uh, in touch with me as well. It's good uh, to feel that connection of Christian family. Now, as we begin uh, our worship, I want to read from Psalm 9. You're in the battle with fear, which I think we are facing on many levels and fronts. Uh, what we as the people of God need is we need the truth of God's salvation. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves of God's goodness to us. Uh, so this is how Psalm 9 begins. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So we're going to sing. Let's sing loud. Let's sing to uh, wake uh, our neighbourhood and let people know uh, that we're worshipping. This uh, hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast, which helps us to grab hold of the security that we have in Christ. So again, Kellen will lead us and let's all join together so that we can sing. He will hold 
Uh, we confess our sin and our unbelief. Uh, we confess uh, those ways in which, in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, we have not lived to glorify you. We have not lived to love you or to love others. And we thank you uh, again for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness that we have, the freedom from condemnation we have in him. Lord, we pray that you would be our source of peace uh, when all around us seems anxious. We ask that you would cause us as your people to have such a settled hope that people would notice there is something different and positive and attractive about the way we are living. Uh, we ask that uh, you would enable us uh, to turn to you. Uh, we ask that uh, we would not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we would present our requests to you, our God, and that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, would truly guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus at this time. Lord, we love you and we know that you love us. We need you. We pray that you would constantly be uh, our source of security and refuge, that we would not be ashamed to say we are utterly dependent on you, and that as we depend on you, we would find that you would give strength for us in our weakness. Now we pray that you'd be with us as we hear uh, from your word, as we reflect on it together as it is preached. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to read in John chapter 16. Uh, so if you have a, a Bible or a device, uh, you'll want to turn there to John chapter 16. Uh, last week, if you'll remember, we were talking about the Holy Spirit in, in a believer's life, especially thinking about the Holy Spirit in uh, the life of the church. Well, uh, today we turn to Jesus' words here in John 16 to think about uh, the Holy Spirit who convicts. So let's read together John chapter 16 from verse 5 to verse 15. Let's hear God's word. Now, I am going to him who sent me Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine 
and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Now let's think about it uh, for a little while uh, together. Let me begin uh, by sharing words you may uh, be familiar with uh, from the book of Proverbs, chapter 27 uh, and verse 6. Uh, we hear these words, the wounds from a friend can be trusted. And when you hear those words, I wonder if in your mind comes a, a family member, perhaps, or a friend who is like that for you. Uh, somebody who helpfully, graciously exposes uh, times when your thinking has been wrong, when your words or your actions uh, have been wrong. Someone who does that out of loving concern for you. And as painful as it was, it led you to see and it led you to change. Now keep that idea in your mind. Jesus here is preparing anxious and troubled disciples for his departure. John 13 to John 17 is a lengthy set of farewell teaching from Jesus. And the theme of the Spirit is something that Jesus returns to a few times over these chapters. Jesus here talks about the Spirit as counsellor, the Spirit who comes alongside of us, the Spirit who will be an encourager, a friend to the disciples, just as Jesus was a friend to the disciples. But the Spirit also here um, that sense of counsellor has the idea of being an advocate. And here, uh, let's think about uh, the Spirit as a, a prosecution lawyer. Like that friend from earlier, the Spirit as a prosecution lawyer exposing uh, wrong beliefs, wrong behaviours for our good, not to condemn, but, but with the desire that we would change. So here's our idea for today. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus as a gift to convict the world about the truth of Jesus, to turn people to believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit convicts. So uh, first of all, and it's important for us to ask this question, why is the Holy Spirit coming good news? Uh, perhaps like me, you find in verse 7 quite striking. I can only imagine the disciples finding it really striking when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I am going away. And maybe they were thinking, how can Jesus leaving be good news? Certainly they didn't act and they didn't feel emotionally like it was good news. I wonder for us today, can we see why Jesus says that? how Jesus going connects with the coming of the Holy Spirit and how that's good news. Let's try and uh, help one another uh, just now. Let me suggest three reasons to see why Jesus departing and the Spirit coming was good news for the disciples and it's good news for us. Firstly, uh, let's think of the word promise. 
Now, when you read the Old Testament, and especially when you read the Old Testament prophets, you discover there that the coming of the Spirit is connected to the saving reign of God beginning, coming in a new way. So when the Spirit comes, it's a sign that the rule of God is coming in the world in a new way. Jesus understands that this requires something. It requires Jesus' departure. It requires Jesus to go, to go to the cross, to die for sin, to die for sinners in our place as our substitute, as our sacrifice. It requires that Jesus then rise in victory and return to glory, to rule as king, and as king to then send the promised Holy Spirit to his people as a way to extend the rule of God in the world. So there's that promise from the Old Testament that makes the coming of the Holy Spirit good news. But there was also uh, the promise of Jesus. So we thought about his words last week, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. There is good news for the disciples and good news for us today if we're trusting in Jesus. Uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit means that promise is kept, that Jesus is with his people in a new way. Uh, so the second word uh, to help us think about how the coming of the Holy Spirit is good news is connected to presence. So we had promise, presence, the presence of Jesus. So up until now, for the disciples and in the time of Jesus, how could a person know, how could a person enjoy Jesus? How could they talk with him and learn from him? Well, they had to be physically with him, didn't they? They had to be in the same place. Jesus, um, in, in his human body, was limited to being in one place at one time. But now, Jesus, by his spirit, he says, he comes to live in the hearts of his people. So Jesus can be with his disciples and he can be with us all the time and everywhere. And that's good news. And also, the spirit allows the rule of Christ to spread in the world in a new way because that good news can be spread by his people. There are some important results for us as Christians today. You know, we are isolated, isolated from one another for the next few weeks. But you and I, we are never isolated from Jesus. By faith, you are never alone, even when you feel lonely. Whoever you are, wherever you are, and forever, Jesus is with his church, his people. That's good news. Uh, and then we think about the mission of God. And we think about how Christianity has become a global religion that since the coming of Jesus, hundreds of millions of people have declared Jesus is Lord by the power of the Spirit around the world. Millions and millions of people, even though they can't get to church, are still worshipping because we know, we believe, we love Jesus, who is Lord. So there is promise, there is presence. And the one last thing 
uh, to say about the, the Holy Spirit coming as good news for now is to do with the word pleading. J.C. Ryle, uh, Bishop of uh, Liverpool back in the 19th century, uh, said this, the Spirit would be a pleader for God throughout the whole world. And by that, J.C. Ryle meant that whenever a person uh, reads the Bible, it's as if the Spirit is pleading through the word that he inspired that we believe it's truth and respond to the God of truth. Especially that the Spirit pleads through the gospel, that declaration of what God has done for us in Jesus uh, to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life. And also the Spirit pleads through the witness and the testimony of the people of God. They're saying to us, saying to the world, um, the Saviour they worship is a Saviour. You should follow and trust too. The Spirit pleads with us to say, you cannot know God and you cannot live the Christian life in your own power. The Spirit comes, as it were, to turn the light on for us, to cause us to see what we couldn't before. And part of how he does that is through this convicting work that Jesus speaks of. So let's turn to that now and, and ask this question. Why is the Holy Spirit convicting the world good news? Because maybe we don't hear the word conviction, convicted of a crime, for example, as good news. Again, let's go back to the Proverbs. Like the trusted words of a friend, listening to the Spirit is good news. Conviction is a gift. Because what the Spirit does is he exposes our wrong thinking and our wrong beliefs about Jesus in order to turn people to Jesus. In order that we might believe by grace, that we might be saved by faith. So in terms of how we respond to this truth, today all of us, um, the desired response is that either it would increase our thankfulness for the work of the Spirit who comes to reveal Jesus to us and, and his glory, so and also to make us more like Jesus, uh, the Spirit who wants us to keep in step with him so we keep listening to and following Jesus, so our response is lives of worship and obedience to Jesus, whatever our circumstances, in the middle of the trouble we find ourselves in, or the other response, and this is if you're not a Christian, is that you would listen. Listen to the Spirit in his word from Jesus, convicting you, exposing your guilt, like that prosecution lawyer, so that you would repent from sin, you would turn from it and turn to God. You would trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So in verse 8, which we read, Jesus focuses on three ways the Spirit will convict the world. When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So let's look at each of those in turn. First of all, sin. Verse 9, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. So, so the sin that we're convicted of in particular is the sin of not believing in Jesus. Let's think of three ways uh, where, where the world fails to believe in Jesus. Think about the identity of Jesus, first of all. John's gospel is really clear. The Bible is clear. Jesus is the revelation from God. So John's gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
that when we look at Jesus, we are seeing the, the glory of God in, in human form. Uh, Jesus, seven times in John's Gospel, uh, describes himself as I am. I am the good shepherd. I am uh, the bread of life. I am the vine. Uh, I am was a title for God in the Old Testament. Jesus saying, I am God and I have come to reveal God. Think about the name and the titles of Jesus. Jesus means God's, God saves. And so we need to see the identity of Jesus as God's saviour. Christ, Jesus the Christ, God's anointed one chosen for a set purpose. The purpose? Yeah, to be that king who would rule for us, to be the prophet who would speak God's truth to us, to be the priest who would give himself as the perfect sacrifice to make us right with God, to forgive our sin. And Jesus is the Christ and he is the Lord. And the Lord, of course, the Old Testament title for God himself. Jesus is God, God's king, God's saviour. That's his identity. So how do we see unbelief in regard to his identity? Well, we see it in hostility. Again, as we move towards Easter, think about what happens around the cross of Jesus. We see uh, rejection of Jesus, hatred of him. We see uh, him being falsely accused, uh, beaten, mocked, uh, shamefully put to death. Uh, today, in our world, we also see rejection of Jesus. We see mockery of Jesus and his church. So, so there's hostility um, and sin and unbelief, but there's also apathy. Where people fail to take his claims seriously, perhaps happy to see Jesus as a good man, perhaps happy to hear him as a as a wise teacher, some kind of spiritual guru. But to have that attitude, well, it's fine for you to take Jesus seriously, but he's he's not for me. You know, to pick and choose. But Jesus says he's Lord and God, and he's the only way to God. So it's not enough to just say he's he's a good teacher or a good man. So there's there's apathy in really engaging with Jesus. There's that uh, sin uh, of not believing in Jesus. Also in terms of his mission. You know, the Bible is clear. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus said he's come to give his life as a ransom. It's as if we're held hostage and Jesus pays in his own body and blood the price to set us free, to forgive us and give us eternal life. But what does unbelief look like? It means there's no repentance, you see. There's no recognition that we need that. There's no faith in Jesus, there's no love for Jesus. There's an unwillingness to, to count the cost of being a, a disciple of Jesus. And if we think about the theme of worship, positively at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, we find a wonderful example of Thomas, who when he meets the risen Jesus, falls on his knees and says, my Lord and my God, he worships Jesus as he truly is. But sin and unbelief looks like a failure to glorify God to failure to glorify Jesus, failure to honour and love Jesus, failure to see him as the greatest of all treasures, so we live for other things more than we live for Jesus, who is God. And the Bible says we are all by nature part of the world, this um, culture that is hostile and in rebellion against God. We are united in our blindness. I don't know if you've been having uh, the same problems uh, that we have. The, the internet feels like it's breaking sometimes. You try and watch uh, something on Netflix and sometimes the picture is so pixelated. The, the signal is so slow and so poor that sometimes we've had to turn it off because you can't make out the characters' faces even. That's us. Spiritually, by nature, we are unable 
and we are unwilling to see Jesus as he truly is unless the Spirit comes as a gift of God's grace, unless the Spirit convicts us of our sin and our unbelief, unless he opens our eyes so that now we're really seeing the personal work of Jesus and our need of him, then that view will never change. So conviction is good news when it means that that now we are restored to the love that we long for and we're made for, to know and enjoy the love of God. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. What's the next way the Spirit convicts the world? Uh, We see um, he convicts the world uh, in regard to righteousness, verse 10, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Does that mean the Spirit reveals to us that true righteousness is found in Jesus and only in Jesus? So for the disciples, you wouldn't find righteousness in the temple. You wouldn't find it in the self-righteous religion uh, that so many people were following uh, in the day. For us too, um, true righteousness in God's sight doesn't come from our religious practices, doesn't come from our moral efforts. Righteousness comes in Jesus and from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way to God because I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is realistic about your inability and mine to be right with God by ourselves. And he's realistic about his own perfect righteousness as good news. But then you think about the cross, what's happening there at the cross. Jesus is dying and he's dying under God's curse. And he's dying experiencing the wrath of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, what's happening there? Why is Jesus doing that? Jesus, in love, has come to take the place of unrighteous sinners. To take our place for our sin. So that a great exchange might happen. He might take our sin and he might give us his perfect righteousness, a right standing before God. But then Jesus, although he dies at the cross, that's not the end of his story. He is then raised and exalted. He's declared to be righteous. Death has no claim on him because he has no sin in and of himself. So just like we were thinking about this morning, there is good news here. Good news of freedom from a self-help religion. Maybe you find yourself climbing that ladder today, trying desperately hard eh, to get to God. Well, the Spirit would want to convict you that that ladder is going nowhere and it is leaning on nothing, so it will collapse. We need Jesus to come down in order to raise us up to God. Praise God he did. So conviction again is good news when it comes to righteousness because it gives us assurance of trusting in Jesus. If we are in Christ, by the Spirit, we are declared righteous as a gift of his grace and we are given the power to do righteousness, which we were unable to do before. One last way the Spirit will convict the world and it's in regard to judgment, verse 11, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Judgment looking ahead to the cross there, demonstrating that the work of Christ destroys the devil's work. So the Spirit comes to our our hearts and minds and convicts us, convinces us that the cross is victory and not defeat. Lots of people 
there on the day of the cross, thought it was the end of Jesus and his claims. Lots of people today still see the cross as defeat. But the Spirit opens our eyes and shows us the truth that the battle has been won by Jesus over the forces of evil. And his death and, and, and resurrection and his ascension to glory, they are proof for us. And the Spirit also convicts us that the cross stands as a warning sign. Just as judgment came on the devil, so it will be for those in the world who reject and rebel against Jesus. The Spirit wants to use a megaphone to let us hear you're on the wrong side of history if you are not following Jesus. When we think about kids in a playground playing games together, team games, uh, you will notice, I'm sure, uh, that they always want to switch to be on the winning team. Or they have that sense of, that boy, that girl, they're really good at this sport, so I want to be on their side. No, there's, <laughs> there's wisdom in that. Spiritually, Jesus is the winner. The cross is victory. His second coming will be victory complete. His resurrection and return to glory are proof of that. We need to be on the winning side. And the Spirit wants to show us that, eh, to turn us in eh, that direction. So there is good news here. The Holy Spirit comes from Jesus to convict us about the truth so we will believe. So today let's hear the Spirit as a friend whose wounds can be trusted. Let him expose and convict us of our sin and our unbelief, whether we're Christian or not. As Christians, we are still guilty of sin and unbelief and we want the Spirit to show that to us. We might constantly be returning, be repenting every day. Let's ask the Spirit to convict us of our foolish attempts at being good enough for God. So we'd stop resting in ourselves, trusting in ourselves and trust and rest in Jesus alone for salvation. And we'd ask the Spirit to convict us of the judgment on rebellion and rejection. So that with a sense of desperation and urgency, we would run to Jesus or we'd stay close to Jesus. So in response, May we either find ourselves gratefully and increasingly worshipping Jesus as we are led by the Spirit. Or, if you're not a Christian, ask today for the gift to repent, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your unbelief, to turn away from the path leading to judgment and destruction, turn and ask for the gift of faith, that you would believe in Jesus, that you would be saved, that you too would know that the coming of the Spirit is good.
good news. Now let's uh, close our time of worship. Uh, Kellen will lead us in singing a couple of sections from Psalm 51, the first four verses, and then verses 7 to 12. This song is a prayer, David's prayer, after God used the words of Nathan the prophet to convict him of his sin and guilt. So let's uh, use these as our words of response. So let's sing together. Oh my God, have mercy on me. In your steadfast love I pray. In your infinite compassion, my transgressions wipe away. Cleanse me from iniquity, wash my sin away from me. For I know my own transgressions, I can see my sinful plight. You, you only I've offended and done evil in your sight. So for this wonderful truth that Jesus revealed, that it is for our good uh, that the Spirit is sent. 
Thank you that it means that we can always have Jesus with us. He can be for us, that friend who sticks closer than any brother. Thank you that his kingdom is spreading and continues to spread. And even in the midst of the coronavirus is still spreading as men and women and boys and girls in their need, led by the Spirit, are turning to Jesus in faith. Lord, we ask that the Spirit would be convicting us of sin and unbelief, convicting us that righteousness is found only in Jesus, to convict us of the judgment that comes on unbelief so that we would trust and always trust in Jesus, uh, that you would cause us to love him and to love him more, and that we would uh, this week live lives of uh, grateful obedience, uh, seeking to do good and to show mercy as a response to your kindness to us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so again, uh, do uh, stay in touch, do connect with each other, do take the chance to be involved in our uh, community groups. Uh, join us tomorrow at 8pm uh, where we'll be praying online through Zoom and again that link will be available. It was great to have uh, people from different uh, locations uh, joining us uh, to pray. Uh, our church, uh, one another, our nation needs uh, prayer uh, at this time. And again, uh, may God be with you and bless you uh, this week.